Amen. Amen. If we could begin to make our ways back to our seats, make our way back to our seats. I'm going to make sure that this mic is on me. Sometimes this mic could be the thorn in my flesh, so I'm going to try to, to make it. Okay. Well, good morning. It is, it is a delight to be here with you today. Uh, to be with the people of God, praising our our great Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. You know, this week has been a a week of uh, much anxiety, uh, much fear, much division, to say the least. Uh, you know, and uh, we, as the body of Christ, we have the opportunity to to be the hands and feet of Jesus. At this time, no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, our allegiance, if you follow Jesus, is to Christ first. And our home is not here, but rather we seek to make Jesus known here and now. And um, we want to be compassionate to one another. And uh, this week, as we as we uh, turn the page of history, um, you know, I didn't want to I didn't want to. Missed the opportunity to read what our lead pastor, Eric, said this week um, through social media and through our website. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's, he's a part of the speaker team for a, a, a ministry called Family Life. Uh, it's, a, it's a marriage ministry, so he's out there in Texas. You could be praying for him as he's over there. Um, but uh, I want to read the words that he, he penned this week, which I think are so Helpful as we begin to process um, this new chapter, um, wherever you stand uh, this week. He said, we have a new president. For some, today is a day of relief. He was talking about Tuesday. Victory and celebration, while for others, it's a day of disappointment, sorrow, and hurt. Jesus' church has the great opportunity to be a voice of calm and healing, especially where anxieties abound. Jesus gave his church the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to empower us to be a voice of love in the midst of hate, courage in the midst of fear, stability in the midst of uncertainty, and gospel-rooted truth over politically charged opinions, which may be diametrically opposed. So he says, let love prevail on your lips, not simply for the sake of peace, but for the sake of the gospel. A good friend of mine reminded me of this today, and he was inspired by Romans 12, 18. He said, for some, this new presidential reality strikes a deep-seated chord of fear. Let's be good listeners and not simply opinionated provokers. Put yourself in their shoes rather than allowing a culture of fear and even hate to win the day. Also, pray for your new president, Donald J. Trump. We have a responsibility to pray along the lines of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 3 through 3, which says, First of all, then I urge you that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. And finally, Pastor Eric says, 
Let's keep perspective and set our minds on things above where Christ is seated. And we'll never, and, and remembering that before him, every king, ruler, president, and all peoples will one day bow to the praise of his glory. This week, I heard a quote that said, although the nation is divided, the church doesn't have to be. If you look around in this auditorium, you'll see different um, uh, races, um, different experiences, and it's all under the banner of Jesus Christ. So let's continue to be unified in Christ. Let's continue to build relationships with one another. Why don't we pray, and then we'll get into this morning's word. Father God, we just thank you for this day. Lord, uh, the psalmist says, this is the day that the Lord has made And let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father, you are on your throne with all authority, with all might, God. Nothing that has happened here on earth, nothing that has happened here in our nation hasn't first passed your hand. Lord, and this is an opportunity for us as a church, God, to be better than we've ever been, holy than we've ever been, Lord. And God, continue the mission that you've given us. And all because of the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose from the grave, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord. And I just pray that while the world is divided on many political issues, Lord, I pray that this would be an opportunity for us, God, to be your hands and feet. God, and I just pray that today as we um, get into your word, Lord, that you would um, enlighten our minds through your word. God, that you would move us to worship, God, and that we would leave here with a sense of peace, God. Let the meditations of my heart and the words that I speak be pleasing to you, O God. Lord, these are your words, not mine. God, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, we live in a society where we get overly optimistic with new opportunities, but we give up on them as soon as difficulties arise. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when we first get a, a new job, whether you were unemployed and then you got a job or whether you went from one job to the other, we have this natural tendency to get those jobs and we're all hype at first, right? We're super excited. We're at work like 15 minutes early. We, uh, we're, we're, we're sucking up to our bosses, right, bringing them coffee. We're, we're making sure we're ready for the day, the night before, ironing our clothes and getting to work all happy, giving high fives to people like, yeah, happy to be working here, man. You know, oftentimes uh, we, we see our job, our new job opportunities as a, a season of new friendships, Right? But when difficulties arise, sometimes, and for some, all of a sudden, you don't like the people that you work with. You begin to know who they are, for who they really are. Uh, you are unenthusiastic, and you find no type of fulfillment in the job that you do. And you become ungrateful at the fact that you even have a job. And you no longer celebrate what the job provides for you. And ultimately, 
you begin to grow bitter toward your job. Am I the only one who's ever gone through that? I think we've all experienced that, right? Sometimes our job situation isn't too shabby. And sometimes we need to be reminded what, what is provided for us through those jobs. But you know what? As I survey the human experience as a whole, and as we look at God, our maker, you know, this tendency even translates into our spiritual walk with Christ. We have the tendency as we walk through life and face difficulty to forget who God is. We have the tendency to forget what God has done for us. We, te- we have the tendency to go through life um, with a, a, a perspective that just, just kind of is, is, is doomed. Seems like it's hopeless when we look at the difficulties of life. We forget who God is. We forget who God or what God has done for us. And ultimately, with this perspective, it, it, it inhibits our praise. When our perspective is, cue, is, is skewed, when we don't see God for who he is, when we don't see what God has done for us, and we don't remind ourselves of that, we don't praise God. And the truth is that God created us to praise him. God created us to worship him. So today, we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 103, verses one through five. And we want to move ourselves to worship. We want to rid ourselves of this spiritual amnesia or forgetfulness. Because we all have the tendency, right? We all have the tendency to forget who God is. And we have to remind ourselves on a daily basis. We have to remind ourselves, no matter who is the president, we have to remind ourselves, no matter what circumstance arrives in our homes, So we want to move ourselves to worship. So if you'll join me in Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We're going to be looking at the first five verses. Psalm 103, and that's page 502 in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, consider that a gift from the brook. Uh, Take it home, read it. If you need some direction, talk to one of the leaders. We'd love to unpack the scriptures for you. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Page 502 in the pew in front of you. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. This is a psalm of David. Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Church family, say all. All. And forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity. Say all. all. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So today we're going to look at what it takes to move ourselves to worship. What it takes to move ourselves to what God has called us to do. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the object of our praise. That's who we're praising. 
We're going to look at the instrument of our praise, and then we're going to look at the reason for our praise. You, you, you rocking with me so far? We're going to look at who we're praising, what we're praising him with, and ultimately why we're praising him. And we see this through Psalm 103. So let's look at the object of our praise. This is a psalm written by David. King David was a king in the Old Testament. He was the ruler of uh, the nation of Israel. And he ruled for a long time. And David, being the king, he says this in verse 1. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Isn't it interesting that a king is worshiping someone higher than himself? You would think that a king would want all the praise. See, in God's kingdom, kings worship God. Kings see their authority as a function given by God and something that is to be represented as from God here on earth. And David sees this. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then on the third line, he gives us some perspective. He identifies who the Lord is. Look at at the third line. He says, Bless his holy name. So here we see that he's praising the Lord, him being a king, praising the king who is holy, who is holy. And to be holy means to be completely separate. It means to be sacred in power. It means to be separate in authority and to be completely separate from wickedness and evil. To be holy means that there's no one like the Lord. And this is what David is saying. He says, yes, I'm a king here in Israel. Yeah, I call some shots, but guess what? There's someone who none of us are like. And his name is the Lord, Yahweh. And he says he's holy. I'm blessing his holy name. And there's two characteristics that you must know about God's holiness. If you look at the scriptures. In Exodus Uh, chapter 15, verse 11, when the people of God, the nation of Israel, was delivered out of slavery from Egypt. This is what Moses, their leader at that time, said, the leader before David. He says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? From this text, we see that God's holiness means That his creation does not possess the power that he has. We run into powerful figures throughout our society. There's people who have more power than others, who have more status than others, but there's no one like God. Because God possesses all power. God runs things and his power is evident in the everyday. You look at the human composition, our bodies. You look at the intellect that God gives man and women. And you can't can't dispute the fact that we have a creator and that his power is working here on earth. And then there's another feature of his holiness. And we see that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 17. Check this out. This 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 is real cool. John, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he's writing about his revelation about the end times. And he says this, he says, when I saw him, this is the Lord, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first, and I am the last. 
What John is saying here is, I saw the Lord and I pretty much dropped dead. I couldn't see him. He was glorious. He was majestic. His light was unapproachable. So we see that God's power pales in comparison or our power here on earth pales in comparison to God's. And then we see that God's holiness says that if we were to see him on our own strength, we would be overcome with awe. Think about that. The God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, as Psalm 121 was read earlier, the one who called you out of your mom's womb, who formed you in your mom's womb, that God. If you were to see him, you would be overcome with awe. You would drop dead just like John. And this says that God is holy. He's not like us. He's not even like a king. He's higher than a king. And this is the object of our praise when we praise the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, which was his name in Hebrew, in the Old Testament. But when we praise God and we're praising his holiness, what are we to use when we praise God? How has God designed us to praise him? If you look at the text again in verse 1, you see, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says, to expand on it, so he says, in all that is within me, bless his holy name. He says, all that is within me. The soul is the immaterial part of our being. The composition of the soul is our mind. The composition of the soul is our will. And the composition of our soul is our emotions. And God gave us our soul in order to worship him, to see him as holy, to see him as someone that is no one like us. And with that composition, he's also given us a capacity. He gave us the capacity to think. He gave us the capacity to to make decisions, and he gave us the capacity to feel, and he gave us that capacity to worship him. Our entire being was designed to worship God and to see him for who he is, glorious, magnify. I made up that word last week. It was a mistake, but I'm going to keep that. He's magnify. There's no one like him, and he gave us this capacity to worship him with our entire being, with our soul. But the tragedy of our soul is that the capacity of our soul has been overcome by sin. The holiness of God has been communicated to humanity through his perfect law, through his word. God is perfect and God has communicated his perfection, his law to humans. And he says, the only way that you can have relationship with me, the only way that you can praise me truly in spirit and in truth, as the New Testament says it, he says, your soul has to be right. But our souls are overcome by sin. We disobey God's law. You don't have to treat, you don't have to show a kid how to be selfish. You don't have to treat a kid how to be self-centered. Kids are naturally self-centered. We were born in sin. And it's not just what we do. It's the inclination of our heart. And our inclinations of our heart says that we are the Lord. Our inclinations and the things that we do say that we are the Lord. We are the Lord of our lives. 
And when compared to God, that is sin to God, that is an offense to God. That is an offense to the God who made you to worship him with all that you got, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your decisions, and with all of your emotions. That's an offense to his magnifiedness. As a matter of fact, that makes you dead to God when you are overcome by sin. Our sin has ruined our soul. So we can't see God in his holiness because we have been overcome by our sin, by the things that we do, which ultimately is a stem of the things that is in our hearts. So here we have a problem. We have a problem. We see that we were created to worship God, that there's no one like God. He is the object of our praise. We see that he's given us the capacity to praise him. He's given us that design, but we can't do it because we've been overcome by sin. And we can't do it unless God intervenes, unless there's a divine intervention. No, you guys ever seen those shows on TV where there's somebody who's, who's stuck in a habit? You ever seen that? They're struck in like um, alcohol or it could be like some sort of like obsessive compulsive disorder or uh, there's even uh, there's things like, like drug addiction. And in these shows, uh, these intervention shows, uh, these people, they, they get a knock on the door. And it's like the whole family and like the the psychology, DEA and stuff like that. And they're just like there to do business with them and saying like, dude, you cannot help yourself. We need some intervention. And that's what God does. Because he wants us to worship him because his holiness demands it. He created us to worship him and... He also develops us and he gives us the desire to worship him through his son, Jesus Christ. So we looked at the object of our praise. We looked at the design of our praise or the instrument of our praise. And now we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at the reason for our praise and the following verses. In verse two, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. In the second line, verse two, look at it with me. He says, and forget not All, say all, all All his benefits. See, people praise God when they embrace the divine benefit package that the Lord gives in his son, Jesus Christ. I know that there's benefit packages in our jobs, right? And sometimes we even get hype off our benefit packages, right, at our jobs when we first get those jobs, we see that we have uh, 401ks. We see that we have um, life insurance, dental insurance. Or we have the opportunity to grow in those jobs. But the benefits of God transcend time and space. And we're going to look at that. And here, David, the king, he's reminding himself of the benefits of God. He's looking at the divine benefit of God that's only given through his son, Jesus Christ. See, you cannot praise God unless there's a divine intervention with Christ. Unless Christ saves you from your sin and what, had, what you had coming to you because of your sin, which is God's wrath. God's wrath is toward sin because sin has to be punished because God is holy and God is perfect. But Jesus, he takes the wrath upon himself. 
and he also makes us new. And this is a divine intervention that we weren't looking for, but rather he gives us the opportunity to respond to. Man, that's grace. That's grace. And we're going to look at those benefits. We're going to see how that works out. So the first benefit in verse 3, we see that the Lord gives us or offers us forgiveness from past and present and future sins. Look at me. Look at it with, excuse me, not look at me. Look at the text. Don't look at me. (laughs) Verse 3 says, who forgives all of your iniquity. The Lord forgives you at the point that you believe in the Son. Iniquity in this context means that you miss the mark. See, God is holy. We are not holy. And because God is holy and we are not holy, we miss the mark of God's holiness. And like I said before, God's wrath is toward all unholiness. But here, we see that although we miss the mark and although we offend him, The Lord is compassionate. And what we know from history is that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and take the wrath of God that you and I deserved for our soul's offense against him. And at the point that you believe that Jesus lived the holy life that you were required to live, took the wrath that you deserve for not living the life that was required of you, and rose from the dead to make you holy, to have that divine intervention, to position you to worship God, not because of anything that you earn, because you can't earn God's holiness. He just positions you. And when you turn to him and you believe in him, God forgives you. God forgives you of all your past sin. God forgives you of all your present sin when you turn to him. That's called repentance. God forgives you of all your future sin. And he doesn't hold it against you. And then the Lord continues to forgive you as you continue to follow him. The point of faith in Jesus is just the beginning of a new life that will go through a transformation process. So the moment that you believe in Jesus, that's the point of salvation. That's when God snatches you up out of his punishment and his wrath. And then as you continue to walk with him, God continues to zero in on your sin. He he continues to reveal areas of your life that need some cleansing. I was reminded of this this week as I went on a run. So you ever got to a point where you start feeling yourself? Where you start thinking that you got it all together? This week as I was running, I was reminded that, man, I am a deeply broken, sinful dude apart from God. I'm broken apart from his divine intervention. And here he says that one of the benefits of God is that he forgives all of your iniquities. And sometimes if you're like me, your past sins come up and resurrect and they try to haunt you. They mess with you. Sometimes in the present, when things don't go on your way, your way politically or at home, it makes you want to say some things, do some things. And you're like, man, I can't believe I'm even thinking that right now. And God reveals those things. And then he washes you as you walk with him. See, God doesn't. Turn on the lights of the skeletons in your closet all at once. God takes out a flashlight and he points it at one thing. And he says, work on that. Work on that right now. 
Follow me on that. Trust me. Believe me on that right now. All right, that's good. Next thing. Work on this. Work on your family. Work at the way that you eat. Work at the way that you wake up in the morning and you follow me and you get into the word. Work on that right now. Work on forgiveness right now. I'm revealing some stuff about your forgiveness. You don't forgive others the way I forgave you, Jeremy. Isn't God gracious? He saves us, forgives us from our past sins, and at the point that he saves us, he continues to shine the light on things in our lives that needs some washing, and he continues to forgive us when we repent, when we turn to him. Man, there's no one like our God. No one in this earth does that like our God. So we see that God can forgive every thought of self-righteousness and pride. We see that God forgives any decisions to follow your lust, to watch pornography. God forgives feelings of discontent, which leads to a life of consumption to no end. In America, we are overly consumed, overly bombarded with a lot of things. We live for ourselves and overly consumed people are people who are ultimately discontent with what God gives them. And God forgives us of that. God forgives us when we repent toward him. But the next benefit, and it gets better, is that the Lord gives healing that transcends time and space. Look at verse 3, second line. He says, who forgives all your iniquities. Church family, say all. all. Your diseases. God heals all your diseases. The Lord gives his children assurance that he will heal you sooner or later, even when you're suffering with mental disease or physical disease, or I would even say spiritual depression. God will heal you sooner or later. In Christ, when you believe in Christ and when you walk with Christ, God will heal you. You know, in this life, we, un- we undergo all types of diseases. And the truth is that there will be a day when you and I will physically die. There's an expiration date on our lives. For some in the room might have just gotten the prognosis of a serious bodily disease. Like I said before, some of you guys might be dealing with depression. You don't even want to wake up in the morning and just do regular tasks because you're so depressed. You don't even know what to do. You ever been there? You don't even know how to get up. Some of you guys have family members who have mental illness. And you've been praying for them, laboring for them. And here this text says that God will heal you of all your diseases. And I just said that God will heal you sooner or later. You know, but in Christ, God is progressively mending all that is wrong with us, even our diseases. And I want to affirm you, if you're dealing with some diseases few things. First one is that ultimate healing will come when Christ returns and give us a resurrection body. When Christ returns, we're going to have new bodies if you're in Christ. 
God will put all his enemies away. And the word says that he will put all sickness away. He's going to give us new glorified bodies made in his likeness perfectly. And we won't suffer no more. I also want to affirm that sometimes he gives healing before ultimate healing. Sometimes God does choose to heal us here on earth. Sometimes God does choose to heal our families here on earth. Sometimes God also calls us to wait. And that's something that I don't understand, that we can't fully comprehend. But in those moments, the Lord delights in us when we are in Christ. And he's deeply concerned over us. And the Lord hears you when you cry out to him. So continue to pray. Continue to fast over those diseases. Continue to work through that depression. Continue to be vulnerable with people around you about how you feel. If there's a loved one who is right now suffering, who the prognosis of life doesn't look that well, continue to be vulnerable about that with your brothers and sisters. They want to walk with you on that. And ultimately, the Lord wants to shape you into his likeness as you walk through whatever disease. And that's not a perspective that this world has. When this world has disease, has depression, they are hopeless. Hopeless. But we in Christ, those who have believed in Christ and walk with him will follow him, we have hope. And guess what? Our hope needs to be renewed every single day. So we see that God forgives us of all of our sin. We see that God heals us, and then we see that God heals us or redeems us from the pit of destruction. Look at verse 4. It says, he redeems your life from the pit. Man. So the Lord here, or King David, is using a, a biblical concept of redeemer. Redeemer was a reference to a, a relative. A relative who bought things back when something from their cousin or their auntie in them or their sister-in-law in them was lost. They, it meant that they bought those things back and now that, that, that they got it back, the rights of those possessions stayed with them. It was in their name. It was credited in their account. And right here he says that he buys us back. He redeems us from the pit. And a pit in Old Testament times was a grave. It meant that you were in a pit where there was all types of snares, all types of hurdles, which ultimately would kill you. As God's creation, humanity was meant to have a relationship with the Lord that resulted, that was to result in fruitfulness here on earth. But when we disobeyed God, when we said we want to be Lord of our own lives, God, we don't want to see you as holy. We think we got it all together. When we said that, we were in a pit of destruction. But when Jesus came and brought divine intervention, he came on earth, he wrapped himself in flesh, he died, he rose, and then he gave us his power to indwell us. He snatches us up, and the things that now ensnares us, or what would ensnare us and ultimately lead us to destruction, now God uses those things when we walk with him as a testimony 
to the world for the world to see. So the Lord not only buys you back from destruction, the Lord also uses what used to ensnare you to help buy others back for his glory. Man, God repurposes our stories. God gives us a new day, a new story. He gives us the opportunity for a second chance. When I think about this, I think about Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a guy who was on President Nixon's special uh, council. President Nixon was a, a, a president back in the day. Now, president Nixon was a, a dude who, who he, he, got, he got caught up in this scandal called the Watergate. Look it up on, on Wikipedia. I don't got a lot of time to like talk about the Watergate scandal. But the point is, uh, Chuck Colson was this dude. He was higher up. He had high status. He was a politician. He had some money. He got caught up in this scandal. He ended up going to jail for seven months. And in 19, let me, let me get that, that day right. In 1974, before he went to jail, before he was locked up for seven months in a prison with felons. And I think about this. This is a politician with money, with high status, going into a prison with dudes who did all types of stuff. And, he, and, he, and he, he goes into this jail, but before he goes into jail, he gets saved. And people thought, oh, man, that's just a hoax. This guy, he's, he's trying to play the system. Yeah, he's a born-again Christian. He's walking with Christ. He's just saying that because he's going to jail. He goes to jail, and he begins to have this bedrock of a faith in Christ. And in one of, the, one of his books, after he got in prison, after he got out of prison, he recounts his experience because he started this ministry called Prison Fellowship, which he served for the rest of his life to the day that he died recently. And he started this other ministry called Breaking Point, which brought a perspective, worldview on a lot of things like politics. And he says this in one of his books called Loving God. He says, all of my achievements meant nothing in God's economy. No, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure. That was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. Only when I lost everything, I thought, made Chuck Colson a great guy. I had found that the true self God intended me to be and the true purpose of my life was in God. It is not what we do that matters but what a sovereign God chooses to do through us. God doesn't want our success. God wants us. He doesn't demand our achievements. He demands our obedience. Victory comes through defeat, healing through brokenness, and finding self through losing self. So God redeems us from the pit, and we see this in Chuck Colson's life. His life is an example that God literally redeemed his story from a pit and then he used it. And that's what God does for us. And for you students who don't have a horror story, maybe that is the story of God's grace that he wants you to share with the world. You don't have to go through a whole bunch of things to have a testimony. You could do things the right way. 
And you could say, hey, you know what? I'm doing things the right way. I'm obeying God, not because of me, because I know that I'm jacked up. I know that I'm messed up. I know that I want to be the Lord of my life. But you know what? God has positioned me. God has given me good parents. God has given me the opportunity to be part of a good church, to see him for who he is. And that's why I obey him. It's not because of me. It's because God divinely intervened. God redeems our story. I'm running out of time, so I don't want to, I want to continue on. As we continue to look at this divine benefit package, it says the Lord, in verse 4, in, in the second line, he says, he's crowned you with steadfast love and mercy. So, so the, the, the fourth package, or the first item in this package, says that the Lord crowns you with love that transcends your comprehension. And we see this for the te- in the text. The word in Hebrew that's translated in our Bibles as, excuse me, steadfast love is the word chesed. It means that God gives of himself. The word chesed. You could try that on your own. It means that when the Lord gives his chesed, it means that he gives it all. He gives of himself. He gives of his holiness to broken down people. The jacked up people. And the word that's translated as mercy, or sometimes in our NIV Bible translations, it's the word tender mercies. It's translated from the word from, from the Hebrew that says rachem. Rachem. Or rachamim. Some of y'all are looking, looking at me crazy. And the word rachamim or rachem means that the Lord desires you. It's a type of desire that a wife has when her husband is deployed overseas and she can't wait till he comes back. And the day that he comes back, she's just like waiting at the door, looking out at the window, just waiting like, man, I can't wait to see my baby. Man, I haven't seen him in a whole bunch of months. That's what Rachem means. I just spit on that. The Lord's chesed and the Lord's, ooh, whoa, got a little hype there. The Lord's Rachem means that the Lord gives of himself, and the Lord desires us in spite of us. See, the Lord gave of himself through his son, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross. And he called you to have a fruitful life here on earth, even though you go through difficulty. He gave of himself, and not only that, after you start walking with him, the Lord desires after you. He draws you to himself, and he wants you to draw to him. The things that have happened in your life, the things that are happening in your life, the the times that the Lord wakes you up at night early in the morning, and you know that that's the Lord, that's the Lord practicing. When the Lord forgives you, that's the Lord giving you his chesed. And when you see Christ for who he is and what he did, and you see that the Lord on high, who is holy, Set his son down. That is the Lord's chesed. So the Lord gives you what you can't give back. And the Lord desires you even when you didn't want nothing to do with him. Not only that, the Lord positions you after he saves you to love on him. You only reciprocate because he gave to you first. Not because you could do anything for him. He's the Lord on high. He's the one who runs things, who sits on his throne, but yet he chooses to love sinners like you and me. So the Lord loves 
beyond our comprehension. The Lord also nourishes his children while he's here on earth. The next uh, 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 benefit in this package in verse 5, and these are the last two, is that the Lord who satisfies you, he's the one who satisfies you with good. Biblically, to be satisfied means to be full. To be satisfied means to, to... To be satisfied with good means that the Lord gives the things we need that produce our own well-being and our own happiness. The truth is that we aren't satisfied as Christ followers when we try to pursue our own happiness outside of God. Sometimes kids are satisfied to sleep or to stay up at night, right? They don't want to miss out on things. When kids stay up at night and you actually let them because they're just nagging you all day, right? You're just like, man, I, I, don't, I don't got time for this today. Just stay up, whatever. Stay up for that TV show, whatever. Stay up for, you know, you, you want to play with your cousins here. So Sometimes when you let them stay up, in the morning they start to feel it, don't they? They don't want to get up. They don't function properly. They don't, they don't want to perform in school no more. They go to sleep all sleepy and droopy. They don't look fly anymore. They're almost a little embarrassed, like, man, you know, I got a couple boogers in my nose. I didn't even check out this morning. I mean, it's just they're, they're all jacked up. And it's all because they were satisfied in the moment with staying up at night. You know, sometimes we as Christ followers, we're the same way. We try to be satisfied with things outside of what God provides. And then we wonder why our lives are so dysfunctional. We wonder why we're all broke down and all like droopy walking through the streets like, yeah, man, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, life, life stinks right now. Yeah, I'm walking with God, but, you know, I'm just tired, done, spent. Because we're so quickly satisfied in the moment, not knowing what God wants for us in the long run. So the Lord satisfies us with good things. And whatever the Lord provides is ultimately for our ultimate happiness and ultimately our well-being. And then he says that he satisfies us with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So the Lord is the one who gives new beginnings. So as King David surveys the benefits of God, he is happy that God gives him the opportunity to look ahead. He says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What he's saying is that your days are renewed, no matter young or old, whether more seasoned in life or inexperienced in life. He says, in Christ, you can be renewed like the eagles. See, for an eagle, the darker their feathers are, the more experience in life they have. They go through a five-year cycle of becoming an adult. The darker you see their feathers, the more you know that they are mature. See, in Christ, the, the, the more you become in his likeness, the more light you display on here on earth. The more light you display on earth, the more you realize that he's renewing you day by day. He's renewing you like an eagle. He's maturing you. He's developing you in himself. So while the eagle gets darker for maturity, we get lighter for maturity. And no matter what age you came to Christ, when you walk with him, he gives you light and he renews your hope. He gives you more hope. And you know what you say? The best is yet to come. 
And guess what? That transcends even now. That transcends even if I die. The best is yet to come because I'm experiencing his light and I'm being renewed day by day. So as we look at the object of our praise that God is holy, as we look at the instrument of our praise that he created our souls to praise him with our mind, our will, and our emotions, and as we look at that the reason of our praise is because in Christ we have six benefits that God forgives us. That God, he heals of all of our diseases which transcends time and space. That God satisfies us with good. When we look at that God renews us day by day and we become more like his light. When we look at those things, then it mobilizes our praise. So now when we look at the reason for our praise, then we can say, well, how do we allow these things, the benefits of God to come alive in our lives? The way that you come alive in your worship to God is by recounting God's blessings. See, the little you recount, the little you will praise. The more you praise, it's probably because you're constantly recounting. Oh, God, you forgave me of that. Man, I can forgive that brother. And I'm going to worship you in the process. Man, God, I'm going through some sickness. But God, because I know that I have hope in you, You promised me that, and I could take you at your word. God, I'm going to praise you. The more you count, the more you praise. The little you count, the little you praise. So what that means is counting God's ways will lead you to praise. Recounting the way that God deals with you in spite of you will lead you to worship. So if you want to look at The reason why your worship is so dry of God, look at the way that you count the blessings in your life. Do we even take moments to realize what God has done in our lives? Do we even wake up in the morning with this sense of our brokenness and our sin and say, God, you forgive me of that. God, you have redeemed my story. Yeah, I hear those lies sometimes that plague me about my past, but God, you have redeemed that. And I'm going to praise you and I'm going to tell it. Recounting God's ways will lead you to praise. As I think about this, and in closing, I think about Patty. Patty was uh, this this lady who, uh, she had mental illness throughout her life. And it, it, she, she was fully functioning. She, she, she could do daily tasks. She could hold conversations. Her, her mom had chicken pox. When she, when, when she was pregnant, and, and it, it kind of altered her mind. So for the majority of her life, she, she thought like an adolescent. And, and Patty believed in Christ. She was a saint in New York. And what, what I mean by saint was that she was a believer in Christ. That's what the Bible calls believers in Christ. We are saints. I'm not talking about saints like Roman Catholicism. I'm talking about believers in Christ. She was a believer in Christ, and she didn't have a lot. And one day... In a, in, a, in a prayer circle, on New Year's Day, the, the pastor there he, um, in, in, in little Spanish Baptist churches, you know, they, they pray into the New Year, by the way. And he wanted them to, to testify. So he says, does anybody want to testify about the goodness of God? Patty raises her hand and she's like, I want to testify. Let me testify real quick. As a matter of fact, she was the only one who testified. So she gets on the mic and she's like, I want to thank God. I want to thank God because he's been good to me. 
I have diabetes. I know that, you know, I have some, some mental disabilities. But I want to thank God because he's been nothing but good to me. He's given me the hope of salvation. And you know what? He's given me a family to protect me, to watch over me. I thank God for my mom. And you know what? I'm better today in my soul than I was yesterday. And one day, Patty's protection of her family could no longer be mobilized because Patty got cancer. And she was on her deathbed, literally on her deathbed. And she was depleted and dying away. And one day her family walks into this, this room and, and Patty would tell her family, and on this particular day, um, it, it was unique, but she would tell her family, hey, sing some praises to God for me. I want to sing to God. I want to sing this song called Estoy Confiado, which means I'm going to trust in God despite my weakness. Sing that song. She would tell her family, read me some scripture. Tell me about my God. This is why she's on her deathbed. And one day when they're reading these scriptures, when they're singing praises to God, thanking God, she can no longer talk on this particular day. She can no longer see. All she could do was hear. And while her family is there, she points in the sky as if to say, Lord, you've been nothing but good to me. You have never left me. You have never forsaken me. And I will worship you even if I die. Because my situation transcends the here and now. I've been good and I will be good. Because God has divinely intervened and he's given me divine benefits. Until we see that God has nothing, has done Things for us, not things to us. We won't praise him. And when we have that perspective, we will worship. So the question is, will you worship? Will you worship God? Will you worship God despite the political climate in our, in our, in our society? Will you worship God Despite the fact that our country is divided by race, will you worship God with brothers and sisters who are nothing like you? Will you worship God? See, when you embrace what God has given you, he changes your perspective and he leads you to praise. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this day, Father. I pray that you would continue to to work in us, God. Continue to develop us, God. We need you. God, you've been nothing but good to us through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. We have it all. We have all that we need, God. I thank you for that. We worship you today. Lord, and I just pray, God, for my brothers and sisters who might be discouraged. Lord, that they would be like Patty. Lord, and that they would worship you despite their circumstance. God, that you would renew us. Lord, and if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day would embrace your forgiveness and embrace your divine benefits. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to be singing a song at this moment. If you need some healing spiritually, I want to encourage you to come up and be prayed for. If you have a loved one who has some disease or you yourself have disease, come and get prayed for. 
If you're going through some sorrow, through some hurt, you want to get some sin in your life, confess, come and get prayed for, church family. Let's not miss this opportunity.